Good morning. We all have times when we look ahead at real or imagined trials and wonder, will I have the strength to keep trusting Christ? What if the trial is too much for me? What if I turn from Christ and lose my faith? If at these times we don't know what God's Word teaches, we can be overwhelmed with fear and with despair. In his classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan gave a powerful illustration of this truth. In chapter 5, Bunyan's main character named Christian meets a helper named Interpreter. Interpreter's job is to teach Christian crucial truths that he will need for the journey of faith. Interpreter shows Christian a fire that is burning against the wall and how someone was standing by the fire constantly trying to put the fire out by pouring water on it. But the fire did not go out. Not only did it not go out, it burned higher and hotter. So Christian asks Interpreter, what does this mean? Interpreter explained that the fire is the work of grace that God produces in our hearts. The grace of trust in Christ and love for Him. But the devil is constantly trying to put out this fire by pouring out on it water of temptations and worries and trials. Then Interpreter wanted to show Christian how the fire not only kept burning, but kept burning higher and hotter. So he took Christian around the back side of the wall where he saw a man who had a jar of oil in his hand which he poured continually into the fire. So Christian asked again, what does this mean? An interpreter answered, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart by the means of which notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. The Christian life can be difficult and dangerous. If all we see is the flame of our faith and the water that the devil is pouring to put it out, we can easily give in to despair and be tempted to give up. That's why it's crucial to know and to remember who God is and what He is doing. So when you find yourself tempted to despair, you must remember that God is able to bring you to Himself safely. God is able to do this. Today we conclude our time in this short but important epistle. And if this is your first time joining us in this series, let me give you some background. The author of this epistle is Jude. And in verse 1, he tells us that he is a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And from this, we learn that this Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. If you look there at Jude in verse 3, we find the purpose of this letter where Jude says that he originally wanted to write to believers about their common salvation. But instead, he was compelled, he was moved to write a different letter. 
which is the one that we have. A letter where he instead calls Christians to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to them. And the cause of this? Well, we find that in verse 4. In verse 4, we're told that certain ungodly people, certain members in the church and false teachers had crept in and were twisting and distorting the gospel of God. They were twisting it and distorting it into a cheap grace seen in their sensual living. These were folks who proclaimed to be followers of Christ, but their lifestyle denied the Master and Lord over them. Then in verses 15 through 16, we come to a section where Jude spends a lot of time reminding his readers of the certainty of God's judgment on those who turn their backs on God. We find various Old Testament examples, examples of people, God's people, of angels, who after receiving the truth of God and enjoyed His gracious provisions, decided to rebel willingly. They decided to not trust in God. Their fate ended in God's judgment. So Jude likened these false teachers and false converts of his day with the examples of the past as a warning for the present. In the next section, in verses 17 through 23, Jude calls believers then to contend for the faith by keeping themselves in the love of God. That is, they are to keep themselves in God's love by growing in the faith, by praying in the Spirit, and by having mercy on those who turn from God. This is because the attack of the gospel is serious. These false teachers were rebellious, causing divisions. They were a danger to God's people. And the attraction or the pull of such rebellious living was causing some in the church to doubt. It was causing others to start feeling comfortable in denying Christ. And it had even led some to go astray. This is a letter that is relevant for us today. It reminds us of the spiritual dangers of our time. Gospel distortions in the church have serious consequences. The Bible tells us that many will abandon the faith. With all of this going on in our time, with so many false gospels being preached today, with news of prominent ministers and Christians who are abandoning the faith, it can be easy to worry and become discouraged. And maybe that's you this morning. Are you tempted to go back to the world because you're not sure if you will finish the race or if you will make it to heaven? Maybe you've lost your joy in contending for the faith because you feel that you aren't strong enough to fight off sin because you keep on wrestling with the same sin over and over and over again. So you begin to doubt if you're even saved at all. Well, friends, Jude offers a word of comfort to reassure you of God's faithfulness to save you, because God is able to bring you safely to Himself. 
This is the main point of our passage. God is able to bring you safely to himself. And because of this, our passage for today in verse 24 and 25 of Jude, we are called to respond to this truth in two ways. We're called to trust our saving God and praise our saving God. We're called to trust and we're called to praise our saving God. Jude 22 and 24. I'm sorry, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. First, trust our saving God. Our passage this morning is a popular doxology. It's an expression of praise to God for His glorious work in our lives. It is one that you will hear read in this church after we end the, as we end the service or close the service on Sunday mornings. And the way that doxologies usually work is that it involves a praise that is offered to God for particular, particular attributes of His that end with an invitation for believers to affirm the truths that have been declared. And you see that here. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the doxology. Now, after spending three quarters of this letter writing to Christians of the dangers that surrounded them, Jude refocuses our attention to God by writing now in verse 24. He then highlights God's ability to save his people. Jude says, now to him who is able, the ability of God here has to do with God's great power and how he uses it for the good of his people. This is the omnipotent God who in the beginning spoke the world into existence. This is the God who used his great power to create everything that exists. He is the same God by whose power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He is the God who the Apostle Paul says is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God is able. Notice also that God is able. It doesn't say, now to him who wishes he were able to do all of these things, Nor does it say God used to be able to do these things. No, it says God is able to do these things. It doesn't matter what circumstance or what situation you find yourself in, 
how much Satan, the world, or your flesh wage war against your soul, remember that God is able. God tells us that He is able. Jude tells us that He is able. And He's able to do two things. First, God is able to preserve you. God is able to preserve you. It says that He is able to keep you from stumbling in verse 24. Some versions say God is able to keep you from falling. Other versions say keep you from stumbling. But the phrase carries the idea of being guarded so that one does not fall. Jude shared this truth because those to whom Jude wrote had been infiltrated by these false teachers who were twisting the truth of the gospel. Their practical rejection of truth was dividing God's people and causing some to stumble, even to fall from the faith. So to this, Jude says, God is able to keep you from stumbling. In the Gospel of John, we find an intimate prayer made by Jesus to His Father as He prepared to finish His ministry here on earth. And in this prayer, Jesus prays for His disciples and for those who would come to believe later on in history, which it includes us today. And what does Jesus pray about? Well, listen to what He prays about in John 17. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read it to you. John 17. Jesus says, I am praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is the truth that Jude refers to. Jesus' prayer is answered by the Father who is able to do this. God is able to guard you so that you are not lost. He preserves His people. This is what He promises to do. But what does this mean exactly? We can look at it both negatively and positively. First, negatively, being kept from stumbling doesn't mean that Christians are exempt from sinning. It doesn't mean that Christians are exempt from sinning. If you're a Christian, all you have to do is be honest with yourself and be reminded that sin To be reminded that sin is something that you have to wage war against every single day. It's something that you've had to fight against even on your way over here this morning. All of us this morning have sinned many times today. And the day isn't even like halfway done. So it doesn't mean that Christians are exempt from sinning. It also doesn't mean that Christians will be perfect in this world. Of course, our desire is to be obedient to God, to be faithful to God and be perfect. But perfection, the completion of our sanctification, won't take place until we are reunited with God, until we are with Him face to face. 
It also doesn't mean that Christians don't experience seasons of doubt and difficulty trusting God. For various reasons, unrepented sin, a misunderstanding of God, His character, a misunderstanding of the gospel, dwelling more on the lies of the evil one than on the truths of God. For many reasons, there are seasons of life where true believers doubt. But thankfully, this does not mean that God isn't keeping you from stumbling. Now, positively, what does it mean that God is able to guard you so you're not lost? Well, God promises to preserve His people from sin that would cause us to walk away from Him forever. This is how we look at at our salvation from God's perspective. He keeps us from that which would cause us to abandon Him forever. There's another way to understand our salvation, and that's in our response to God's preservation, which is known as our perseverance. In verse 1, we learn that it is God who calls us. If you turn there to verse 1, if you have Jude open, in verse 1, Jude writes, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We learn that it is God who calls us. That calling is to be loved by God, and that love is seen in God's keeping of us through Jesus. This miraculous work of God in the Christian's life has deep implications that will be visibly notable throughout one's life. One of those evidences that God has called you to Himself is that God's people will persevere in the faith until we go to be with Him in eternity. Such faith will be evident in lifelong obedience to God. Because Christians are those who are given a new heart and are indwelt by God's Spirit, among many other blessings, all true believers will be empowered by God to live for God. Like the pink Energizer Bunny, the Christian will be empowered by God's grace so that he keeps going and going and going and going, persevering in the faith until one's faith is made sight. Here on earth, the Christian will engage in fighting against sin. The Christian will fall short, but praise God that God promises to persevere, to preserve His people by working in us through conviction of sin and repentance. This is what James writes about when he says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Or this is why John writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So remaining in the faith is something that we participate in as we keep ourselves in the love of God, as we saw in verses 23, 24. But it happens ultimately because God keeps us. 
So if you've ever wondered if a Christian can lose his salvation, Jude gives us an emphatic no. Because God is able to keep you from stumbling. So then, what about those who leave the faith and never return? Did they lose their faith? Well, the Bible also has a category for this, and it teaches that those who profess to believe in Christ but willingly continue in their sins will prove themselves to have never been saved at all. John 2.19 says, "Uh, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Similarly, in the parable of the soils, Jesus teaches us about those who appear to be trusting in God and receive his word, but in reality, don't. The parable pictures people who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. They endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arrives because of the word, they fall away. Others, because of cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches, also prove to be unfruitful. And we read of that in Mark 4. This is why Jude calls believers to contend for the gospel. True faith comes by the hearing of the word of Christ proclaimed as the gospel is explained, prayed, sung, and read in church. This is how the Lord brings or draws people to himself by his word. The protecting and heralding of the gospel in the local church is the way that God, one of the ways that God preserves his people. This is why Jude called his readers to fight for the gospel because a distorted gospel had infiltrated their church. So we see then that the perseverance of the saints is only possible because of the preservation of the Savior. We are able to keep ourselves in God's love only because God is the one who keeps us from stumbling. Therefore, we trust our saving God because He is able to preserve us in this world. And verse 24 continues and says that God is not only able to preserve us, but He is also able to present us. If we continue reading verse 24, this is where we see this. Now, that God is able to present you means to cause you to stand or to set one in place. God is able to make you stand. But why would he need to do this? Why would he need to be the one who causes you to stand? Well, Jude gives us a clue. And we find it in the place where God makes us stand, which is before the presence of his glory, or before himself. God is able to present you to himself, is what Jude is saying. And this is important because the Bible says that it has been appointed for man to die once, and after that, to face judgment. 
On that day, everyone will be presented before the judgment seat of God, where every thought, word, action, desire, motive of the heart will be exposed and judged. And the prophet Malachi asked about this day, and he wrote, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? The answer to this question is, no one. No one. Why? Well, the Bible also makes it very clear that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. The problem is for man God is righteous, holy, and just. And that day will be terrifying for whoever um, stands before God unrepentant as his enemy. On our own, we cannot stand before God. But God is able to preserve you and God is able to present you before his presence. And he will do this in two ways. First, he will present you blameless. Blameless. This is what Jude says. Now to him who is able to present you blameless before himself or before the presence of his glory. The word blameless is the same word that's used in the Old Testament for sacrifices that were required of God's people. The sacrifices offered to God for the forgiveness of sin came in different forms through bulls and rams and lambs. They had to be perfect and without fault. In addition to this, the people themselves had to be pure and holy. But the problem is that no one is pure and holy or blameless. No one can stand before the Lord and live. On one occasion, Jesus said that what is impossible with, with man is possible for God. Jude says that God is able to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. And He does this through His Son, Jesus, the blameless and perfect Lamb. Read it there with me in verse 24. Now to Him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. He does this through His Son, Jesus. Peter tells us that God's people have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is how God is able to make us stand before His presence. It is because of the saving work of Christ for His people. This is why we can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the rock, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is the only one through whom we can be presented before God blameless. 
He alone is the one we must put our hope in. He alone is the solid foundation by which we can be forgiven and received by God. God is able to present you blameless before his presence, but God is also able to present you with great joy, says Jude. Standing before God is one thing, but how we stand before him is another. I remember once having to stand before a judge to try to get out of a speeding ticket. My friends had told me about certain loopholes that would cause the judge to throw throw out my case. So I showed up with confidence, having having rehearsed what I was going to say. But when I arrived at the courtroom, feeling convicted that because of my guilt, all of a sudden, I got a knot in my throat. I felt my knees weaken, and I felt a sense of fear because as I saw the judge up there with his ability to find me, I knew I was guilty and I felt fear. This is a right response to our sin and our guilt. It's how we should feel when we think about standing before the judge of the universe. But Jude tells us that the Lamb, Jesus Christ, died not only to present us blameless before God, but also to present us with great joy. It will be an exuberant and an unrestrained joy. It's a joy that the psalmist says in Psalm 21, 6, that there is great joy in the presence of the Lord. It will be a glorious time, a time where our joy will increase as we continue dwelling in the presence of the Lord for eternity, where our our joy will grow in, in degrees as we continue dwelling before the God who gave his son for us, the God who loves us, this great and glorious God. And this is only possible because God is able to do this. Praise God. So brothers and sisters, what, whatever you face in this world, whatever danger you come across, remember that we are to trust our saving God, because he is able to preserve us and to bring us safely to himself. Not only are we to trust God, Jude also says that we're to respond in a second way, which is praise our saving God. We're also called to praise our saving God. If in verse 24, we spend time learning about God's love for us and his ability to use his power for our good, In verse 25, we're called to praise the God who keeps us. Here we see that a heart that trusts God will naturally be moved to praise God. They go hand in hand. And we're given four reasons to praise God in verse 25. First, we praise God because He is God. And not only is He God, but Jude says, he alone is God. He says, to the only God. In this description, we find an important truth and command about God. He alone is God. That's it. 
One day, a scribe came to Jesus and asked, Jesus, what's the most important command of all? And Jesus replied with an Old Testament truth from Deuteronomy 6. And he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In answering this way, Jesus taught us about the exclusivity of God. God is the only true and living God. He is a triune God revealed in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead is fully God, but this is not three different gods, but three persons, one essence. And both the New and Old Testaments make this clear, that there is only one God. The prophet Isaiah declared, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So this one and only God is the God who was able to save you, and for that, He is worthy of praise. Second, we're to praise God because He is our Savior. Jude says, to the only God, our Savior. God is many things. God is our Creator. He gave us life and everything that we need in this world. When He created Adam and Eve, He gave them everything that they needed to enjoy life in this world. But tragically, beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way down to us, we've rejected our Creator. And in doing so, we've earned His judgment. And having every right to give us His wrath, in God's love, He decided to give us mercy and grace. He chose to save His people. If you read through this, you'll read it and think that God as Savior here is referring to Jesus. But if you look at it closely, you'll see that the Savior that Jude refers to here is God the Father. Now, once again, God is one God of a single essence. But we see that God is active in salvation in each of His, per of his persons. And we see this clearly in Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul teaches us of the work of God in salvation. If you want to turn to Ephesians 1, and this takes place from verses 3 through 17, the Apostle Paul teaches us about the work of God in salvation. First, we learn that the plan of salvation originated with God the Father. In Ephesians 3.16, we learn that the Father chooses His children before the foundation of the world and predestined us to be adopted as children. In this sense, Jude tells us that God is Savior. God the Father is Savior. You see that in verses 3, um, three through 6, if you want to skim through those. But we also find, if we keep reading that God accomplishes this salvation through His Son. Jude says, to the only God our Savior, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in Ephesians that everything that God does for us in salvation is done through Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 12, we're told that our redemption, our adoption, our reconciliation, our sanctification and glorification is accomplished through the Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, here we we learn of the exclusivity of God, the Son, Jesus. He has declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means that your greatest problem can only be solved through him. That problem being sin. If you're visiting us today and you know yourself not to be a Christian, it is a joy for us to have you with us. We praise God that you're here. We've prayed for the Lord to bring you here so that you would hear this good news. As we just shared a few minutes ago, everyone in this room is going to have to die one day because as someone once put it, 10 out of 10 people die. And there is a 100% chance that you will die unless the Lord returns first. And when that happens, you will then have to present yourself before God and be judged. You may have heard the phrase, only God can judge me. And it's true. Ultimately, judgment belongs to God. But it is also a terrifying truth if you're not his child. The Bible says that no one will be able to stand on that day. The only way to stand before him blameless and with great joy is through his son, Jesus. This is because Jesus is the blameless and sinless Son of God who took the penalty of sin upon Himself so that all who turn to Him by placing their trust in Him may be fully pardoned and saved. You see, apart from Jesus, you are unable to come to God as Father. You can only come to God as Judge. And God calls you to turn from your rejection of Him and to receive the gift of salvation by faith. And He offers this to you freely if you would only turn from yourself and turn to Him. And if you have any more questions about this, please feel free to ask myself, whoever you came with, or anyone in this room, and we'd be happy to tell you more about this. But Jude wants us to know that God, our Savior, is able to save us through Jesus Christ. The third thing we learn about God and why He is praiseworthy is that He is a glorious God. Jude says in verse 25, To Him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, to Him, to this God, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. First, Jude says, glory. Glory isn't so easy to define 
But we tend to think of glory as a thing, but in reality, it's more like a description of something. God's glory is described by theologians as the sum total of who he is. When we talk about God's glory, we refer to the greatness of God. When Jude says, to God be glory, he is saying, attribute to God, acknowledge about God who he is, proclaim his glory because of who he is and what he has done. Majesty. Majesty speaks of the Lord's greatness and status. It recognizes God as the royal king of kings and lord of lords who is sovereign over all his creation. Dominion and authority both are similar and often appear together in scripture. On one hand, dominion refers to God's power over his creation. As its sovereign God, God has the power to do whatever he desires according to his character. This is his dominion. But authority, on the other hand, has to do with God's right to exercise his dominion. So God not only has dominion, he also has the authority to carry it out. This means that God is able to do all that he pleases to accomplish his will. This glorious God is worthy of praise because he uses his great power for our good. He uses this great power to save us, to preserve us, to present us before himself. And as such, he is worthy of us praising him because of what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. The fourth and final reason that Jude gives us for God's worthy of praise is because he is an eternal God. Jude ends this letter in verse 25 by saying that God is worthy of glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever. He is saying that God is worthy of praise before all time. God is a God who has no beginning and no end. We, on the other hand, have a beginning and an end. But God's worthiness of praise before all time means that being who He is, God has been worthy of praise before we even came into existence. Before Genesis 1-1, when God said, let there be light. Before God created the world, before anything existed, God was worthy of being praised for who He is. And now, Jude says, God is worthy of praise now, today, because of who He is and what He's done. Currently, this morning, God is keeping you and He's using His power to enable you 
not to go AWOL, not to abandon the faith, to protect you from that which would lead you to turn your back on him. You know, all those times that you found yourself wrestling with sin and thinking, oh boy, that's it. I've blown it. God could never forgive me for this. It is God who has kept you in the faith. The reason that you're here this morning still worshiping the Lord, even though it may have been difficult to get out of bed and say, I'm going to go again today, is because God has enabled you and kept you and has presented you here with his people so that you would praise him. God is worthy of praise now. And God is worthy of praise forever. God remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which means that a thousand years from now, God will continue to be the same glorious God that He is and will continue to be worthy of all praise that He is due. So what do you do when you feel the dangers of this world when you feel the accusations of the evil one, when you feel the guilt and the shame, and you feel tempted to turn your back on the faith and to go back to the world, when you fear that you won't be able to make it, Jude says that we are to look at the cross and we are to remember that it is through the work of Jesus for you that God keeps you. Then we respond by trusting this God who saves and praising this same God who saves because He is able to bring you safely home to Himself. And then Jude concludes this letter with the only way that's appropriate. He says, Amen. Amen is a word that means truly or so be it. When a congregation responds with Amen, we unite ourselves with the truths that are proclaimed about God and we make them our own. We say we agree with what has been said. We acknowledge God to be who He is and what He's done. This is the way that Jude closes this small 25-verse letter. In this letter, he's taught us that because of the danger of apostasy, because of the danger of false gospels that distort God's grace, those who are being kept by God have the responsibility to keep themselves in the love of God. But the only reason that we're able to keep ourselves in the love of God is because God is the one who is at work making sure that we don't fall away. This awesome God who called us is the same God who keeps us. And for that, He is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and we praise You because You alone are God. We confess that there is none other but You. It is You who created us. It is You who have had mercy on us. It is You who have acted in history to save us. 
Left to ourselves, Lord, we could never stand before you. But we thank you, we praise you, we exalt your name because in your love, in your mercy, in your kindness, you sent your son Jesus into this world to save us. And it is through him, Lord, that we can be made right. Lord, we thank you because this is an undeserved gift. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to always remember these truths of the gospel, that we would remember who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. We pray that this would warm our hearts and move us to keep ourselves in your love. We pray that you would do this, Lord, ultimately for the glory of your name, so that we would continue to worship you, not only today, but tomorrow, and when we stand before you for all eternity, praising you for what you've done in us. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.